Hey, welcome to the Learning Little Lessons Podcast. I'm excited you are here. Today I have something special for you. It is a recording from, it's the first of four recordings from our Sister Share event on March 19th. Um, the next couple weeks I'm going to be releasing one more recording each week. Um, like I said, we have four of them. So this is the first one. This is my friend Sheila Duker and she just does an amazing job. The whole theme was on thriving, not just surviving, but thriving. So I hope you enjoyed the lesson. Good morning. Wow, that's a lot of you out there. I didn't turn around and look, maybe I should have. <laughs> oh, ladies. So, we anticipated this for several months. Um, the last couple weeks, and now, as of last night, things have kind of changed, and our hearts have changed, but one thing has not changed, and that is our Jesus, right? So we are going to worship him today together. We're going to learn about him, um, and we're just going to have a day of supporting each other and loving each other, and finding out where our hope comes from. <clears throat> so I have this, um, I have this friend. And she's pretty amazing, probably like most of you. That's a pretty amazing friend. And she talks to me often about her prayer life and her devotion life and the ministries that she's involved in. And it's awesome. And I love it. And I'm a little jealous. And I have to work through that. And then I got a text from her on Saturday, and it said something like this. It, she said, um, boy, Jody sent me this text on Tuesday about this big problem that she thought was brewing and I was so stressed and so overwhelmed and just surviving. I was barely surviving and I didn't do anything about it and now it's Saturday four days later and I'm looking into this issue and yeah it's a big problem like a big problem and I didn't do anything about it. What am I supposed to do now? And we talked about it we got through it but then I thought, man, like, I thought she had it all together all the time. And she said, I was stressed and barely surviving, and I messed this one up. I thought, oh, amen, girl, right? I didn't celebrate. I was sad for her. Um, that's just kind of how life goes. Um, when I was asked to speak this year at Sister Share, um, I considered it, and then they told me the topic was thriving, and I thought, oh, I don't know if this is a great idea. And I told my husband, and he was like, yes, absolutely, you go, you're the perfect person for this, because you know what it is to just barely survive. <laughs> and don't be mad at him, because he was so right. I wasn't mad. <laughs> knows me well. Um, so anyway, if you came today to hear somebody who has it all figured out, I'm not your girl. But um, I think together we're going to learn something today. Um, what does it mean to thrive? What does it mean to thrive? I think that um, I looked it up. Like, what does survival look like? What does surviving mean? Surviving means um, 
to continue to live or exist? Is there anybody in this room that is like existing today besides me? Like, I'm here, I'm existing. That's survival. Thriving? Thriving is to grow or develop well or vigorously, to prosper or flourish, to progress toward or realize a goal despite of or because of your circumstances. Does anybody in here want to be a thriver today? That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. Um, when I became a believer, <clears throat> I thought I was on my way. I was going to make it. My spiritual growth had only one way to go. I mean, I was ready to thrive. I mean, after all, I was born again. I accepted Christ. I was washed in the blood of the Lamb. I was ready to thrive. And I thought that my spiritual growth was going to look like this. Right? This right here, 1995. This right here. 2022, zoop, I was just going to be amazing, right? So here we are, 27 years later, there it is, right? That's it right there. But even if that's it, and you're all giggling, but I bet you can identify with me. Um, I'm on this journey with you, learning how to grow in Christ, Learning how to become a thriver, someone who thrives and not just survives. Um, we can do this together. We can do it together. If you give me the next 30 minutes of your time, we're going to walk through the life of one of God's warriors. One of God's warriors who had so many applicable lessons for us. We're going to dig into the word together. And we're going to learn about a real-life survivor turned thriver. So we're going to play a little game. I'm going to say, it's a word association. I'm going to say a word, and I just want you all to shout whatever comes to mind first. Right? So I say peanut butter. You say? Jelly. I say flip. You say? Black. I say black. You say? White. I say Joshua. You say? Okay, one more time. I say Joshua, you say? Caleb. Caleb, okay. That's Moses. Jericho, right? All of those stories that we learned as young children. Those are great stories. And they're valuable for us to learn, valuable to teach our children. Um, but if we just stay in Jericho, or maybe if we just stay with Joshua and Caleb, we are going to miss some really rich history, and some really great lessons from Joshua's life. So um, we're going to dig into Joshua. He lived a full life. We're going to um, fasten our seatbelts. We're going to do a whirlwind tour of Joshua. He lived 110 years. He wore many hats. He filled many roles, and we're going to find out value in each one of them. What I don't want to happen today is that I stand up here and talk about Joshua and you all walk away and say, wasn't that a nice Bible story that we learned about? So it is a great Bible story. And I learned more about Joshua in the last month or so, a couple months than I've ever known.
but I don't want this just to be about Joshua and about the Bible story that you learn. I want you to find yourself somewhere in Joshua's story today. Find yourself somewhere in the story. How can you take what Joshua went through and what God did for Joshua and apply it to your life? So we're going to look through many things, and I hope that you can come along with me and we can learn together. So we're going to start <clears throat> at the beginning with Joshua the slave. And when he was a slave, this is where Joshua learned how to be a servant. To understand the whole story of Joshua, we have to start at the very beginning in Exodus 1. This is when Jacob took his family, his entire offspring, and moved them to Egypt um, and to be with Joseph. And as once that generation passed away, that family, the family of Jacob of Israel, stayed in Egypt. Um, generations passed away, there was a new ruler in Egypt, and the Israelites became slaves. And it is into this circumstance that Joshua was actually born. He's the son of Nun of the tribe of Ephraim, and he was born in the land of Goshen, born into slavery. Joshua knew what it was to be a, <clears throat> what it was to be beaten. Joshua knew what it was to work hard with no reward. Joshua knew what it was to be in want, and he knew what um, what desperation was. He also knew what um, what hope was when Moses arrived on the scene. He knew what it was to be amazed when he started um, seeing the miracles of the plagues. He knew what it was to be terrified when the death angel went over the land. He knew what exhilaration was when the Israelites finally escaped from Egypt with all the plunder of their neighbors. He knew what terror was when the Egyptians changed their minds and pursued them across the desert. He knew what deliverance was when he actually walked across the Red Sea with a wall of water on his right and a wall of water on his left and God in a cloud behind him as his rear guard. And then he knew, he knew what it was to live with people. One million grumbling, scared people. He knew what it was, but he made it through all of that, through all of that slavery. He made it. He made it through all of those experiences because Joshua was a survivor. He was a survivor. He was likely close to 40 years old at the time of the Exodus. He lived in bondage and slavery to the Egyptians for 40 years. I wonder if during that time he felt like he had purpose. For 40 years he was a slave. Did he think, man, I'm living the best life. I'm really doing the right thing right here. Or did he get down and discouraged? Did he feel beat up? Did he feel useless? I don't know what he felt, but it makes you wonder. A slave for 40 years, wondering if there would be hope. Was he hopeless sometimes? I think Joshua, <clears throat> I think Joshua, because of where he came from, we can identify with him, right? There are seasons of life and sometimes there are seasons of simply surviving, doing everything we can to just make it to the next moment. Joshua was a slave 
and he survived the, through that hard season of life. He was able to come out on the other side, and that leads us to the first transition in his life. He had a change of roles, a change of direction. Do you ever feel like God is moving you, but you don't know quite where or what the plan is, but you can feel that he wants you to do something different? Um, kind of a subtle change. And I think that's what happened to Joshua. He was living as a survivor. He was trying to get through day by day by day. But then Joshua called him to something else. God, or excuse me, God called him to something else. God called Joshua to be Moses' aide. And this is where he learned how to use his gifts and to wait on God. The change in roles did not come for Joshua when slavery ended, which is what I would have thought. You get through the slavery, and then, then you've arrived, right? You get through this hard season, and then you can move on and do something more productive for the Lord. But that's really not what happened. No, because... In Numbers 11.28, we read that Joshua, son of Nun, had been Moses' aide since youth. So you see, Joshua figured out how to find purpose in the mundane life of trying to survive. He learned something from his time in slavery. Joshua learned how to serve a master, right? Even if it wasn't a good master. He learned how to serve. He learned how to work. And he was able to take what he learned in his time of survival and allow it to change him in a positive way. He found his place, his sweet spot, his calling. He found the area of giftedness that God had given him. And he was able to plug into his community, even in the very hard times of survival. Can you identify with that aspect of Joshua's life? Are you in a spot where you think you need to get through this season of slavery? And then once you're through this season, then, then you're gonna go after it. I do that sometimes. I think, okay, if I can just get through this week or get through this problem or get to the other side of this, then God, then I'll start serving you. But I don't think that that's really how God always imagines it should be for us. We want to wait until everything is perfect, perfectly lined up. Then, when everything else in my surroundings is perfect, then I'll start serving you, Lord. <coughs> that's not what Joshua did. Joshua was living in slavery, terrible things, terrible circumstances, and yet he found his purpose, and he did it. I have a tendency to sit in a puddle of self-pity. And I'll sit in my self-pity and sit in my self-pity and think, I'll just, I've got to get through this, right? I'm going to sit here and feel sorry for myself a little bit, and then I'll start working for the Lord, and God calls me in my sin of self-pity, and he'll say, get up. This is not what I designed you to do. I did not design you to sit in a puddle. Now, you've had your sorry time. Now stand up and use the gifts I've given you. I have given you the gift of mercy and encouragement and the gift of compassion. Go find someone who needs to hear that. And so if I obey, 
and I get up out of my puddle and I go find someone and I use my gifts, guess what happens to me? I'm like, oh, I feel much better. Because I was doing what God wanted me to do. I'm using my gifts. That's what Joshua did. That's what he did. He came out of slavery and even in the hard times, he used those hard times to learn and he used those hard times to develop his gifts and then he was willing and to obey God. Although he was a slave in Egypt and a slave to his own survival sometimes, anyone feel like you could be a slave to your own survival? Joshua was able to find his place. He was Moses' aide, his sidekick, his mentee, his helper. He wasn't an Aaron, because God knew Moses did not need another Aaron. He needed a Joshua, and he was just himself. He was who God made him to be, and he was a servant. And he was willing. We're going to look um, at our first scripture. And that comes in Exodus 17. This is really the first time that Joshua, the story of Joshua, is mentioned. The Israelites have not been out of Egypt very long. The complaining had already commenced. And now they were being attacked by the Amalekites. So in verse 9 we read that Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Moses, okay, yeah, choose some men so we can go out and fight the Amalekites, Moses told Joshua. And then Moses and Aaron and her, they climbed up this hill and did the whole hand-raising thing, right? We all know about that. So that's always what my focus has been on, which is a good thing. But then I realized Joshua is down below fighting. He is fighting, fighting, fighting the Amalekites, fighting for God. And he won. He won. What I didn't know, or what I didn't remember, was in verse 13, God, um, God said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Make sure, God says, that Joshua hears it. It's as if he was saying, Moses, don't let that kid out. Make sure he knows what I have done for him. Make sure that he knows that I see him. We serve the same God, don't we? Does anybody in here feeling a little bit invisible? Does anyone need somebody to see them? Do you need your boss to see you? Do you just wish your boss would see you once? Do you wish your husband would see you? Like really see you for who you are? Maybe you wish your adult children would see you once. Do they just know that you're even there? At church, do you wish somebody would see you? Anybody just notice you? I think all of those things are real 
and we want to felt, feel like someone sees us. But we serve the same God that Joshua did. And God says, make sure Joshua knows. God wanted him to know, I see you. And he wants each of you to know, I see you, daughter. I see you. We're going to move on. <clears throat> We're going to move on to the next story. The next story is in Ex Exodus 24. Take a note, because if you have not read Exodus 24 in a long time, you have to read this chapter. It's fantastic, but we're not going to go through it. I'm not going to read it, but you should read this on your own. But in Exodus 24, God called Moses to the top of the mountain to give him the stone tablets and to meet with him in the cloud for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, the people that were at the bottom of the mountain looked up. They were terrified. It looked like a consuming fire, and yet there went Moses up the mountain into this consuming fire. Everyone was afraid. I wonder what did that cloud look like when Moses got to the top? I thought that only Moses knew what the cloud looked like until I realized that Moses did not climb that mountain by himself. His faithful aide, Joshua, climbed the mountain with him, but Joshua didn't get to go into the cloud. Moses went in to this terrifying cloud and for 40 days and 40 nights, Joshua stayed at the top of the mountain with Moses, sitting outside the cloud, just in the presence of God, waiting on God to finish his work with Moses. I love that Joshua stayed there. I love that Joshua got to be there to see the presence of the Lord, to know who the Lord was. And he didn't get tired, he didn't leave, he didn't get discouraged. He just waited on the Lord. Exodus 33, we're going to move on. And Exodus 33 shows us that um, this was not really a one-time deal for Joshua. This wasn't like a mountaintop experience of being with the Lord, and then it was all over for him. He continues and continues to be in the presence of the Lord. Um, you see, Moses set up, right outside the camp, Moses set up the tent of meeting. This was before the tabernacle was made. He set up the tent of meeting. Anyone that was inquiring of the Lord could go to the tent. But when Moses went to the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with, to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. But do you want to take one guess who never left the tent of meeting? Joshua. He never left. He stayed in the presence of God. He knew that when God was going to come down, it was going to be at the tent of meeting. And Joshua stayed there. He stayed there in the presence of the Lord. And I think that we can learn from Joshua. Um, we can learn from Joshua. There was so much going on in the camp, right? The, the calf was made, then the calf was destroyed, and then Moses got mad and threw the, the um, tablets that they just spent 40 days getting from God himself. People were running wild. Aaron, he was a hot mess, right? I mean, the, the, the 
um, the Levites, they were running through the camp killing people, everyone who disobeyed. They were, they were chopping people up like, what in the world? Chaos. And yet, through all of this chaos, Joshua just was. He was firm because he was planted by the living water. He was right where he knew he needed to be. He could still thrive because his foundation was set. He saw the power and majesty of God on the mountain. He saw the power and majesty of God at the tent of meeting. And he knew that God's presence was real and he was willing to wait on God. So we're gonna take a couple practical tips here from Joshua that how he was able to transition from survival mode to thriving mode. So what did Joshua do? Joshua found himself a mentor or a role model to look up to and to learn from. He found himself a mentor and he plugged into that. He figured out what he was good at or what he was designed to do and he actually did it. He didn't compare his job to that of others' jobs and feel like he was a less than. He's just a little aid. He wasn't that important. He just figured out what he was supposed to do and he did it. And he learned how to stay close to God. And he realized that his strength came from the continual presence of the Lord. There may not be a cloud or a mountain or a tent that we can go sit beside today to stay close to the Lord, right? But I think we're even more blessed than having a cloud that we have to go, or a mountain that we have to climb. This is what we need. He gave us his word. He invites us to come boldly before his throne in prayer. We can stay in the presence of the Lord just like Joshua did, only we get to do it anywhere we're at. We get to do it anywhere we're at with our Bibles and praying. We can stay in his presence and we can learn from him. Joshua the slave learned how to be a servant. Joshua the aid learned how to use his gifts and the importance of the presence of the Lord. But the really great thing is he didn't stay there. He continues to follow the Lord. He continues to grow. And now we find Joshua the spy. And this is where he learned how to be a leader. It was God told him, it is time to go into the promised land. He had big things planned for them. Let's go into the promised land. And Moses chose 12 men, one from each of the tribes, to be his spies. I want you to go out, check out the land, and come back and report to us. And, and um, Joshua was the chosen man from the tribe of Ephraim. You know the story. When the spies returned from their mission, 10 of the leaders displayed a total lack of faith in God. They did not remember what God had done for them in the past or what he had promised to do for them in the future. They allowed their fear to rule their thinking and judgment. And they advised the Israelites to do the same. Joshua and Caleb did not forget the Lord. They were grounded in the Lord and were able to trust him even in the difficult and seemingly impossible circumstances that they saw. Joshua begged the Israelites, he begged them, trust in God. 
trust in God, and he tried with all his might to encourage them to believe the promises the Lord had given them. It took bravery and courage to stand against the ten other spies, to stand against his peers who said it was impossible to take the promised land. It took bravery and courage to stand against the entire body of grumbling, grumbling Israelites. Actually, a community of people who had stones in their hands. They had stones that they were ready to throw at Joshua and Caleb. They wanted to believe the lies and their fear and to kill the truth that Joshua and Caleb were trying to tell them. It took courage to stand up for God. But just as the whole, just as the whole community was about to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting. All the Israelites saw it. They saw the cloud come down over the tent. The glory of the Lord was there. And you know what happened? The stones fell out of their hands. They dropped the stones. And Joshua kept on thriving because the Lord showed up for him that day. The Lord said, today, Joshua, you will not die. You will not die at the hands of these Israelites who want to stone you because they are afraid and refuse to believe me. You keep on keeping on, Joshua. You keep working for me. You keep thriving. No matter what you're up against, the stones fell to the ground. Now, He learned how to be a leader, didn't he? He learned how to stand up against what other, what they call, against the culture, against what other people were saying. He knew how to stand up for God. It's not an easy lesson. Uh, a couple of my kids went to a leadership conference this week, and they came home and they had their new T-shirts on that they got, and uh, the quote on the back said, "As a leader, your influence." is never neutral. I thought that was pretty good. As a leader, your influence is never neutral. So the 10 spies, their influence wasn't neutral. They influenced in the wrong way. They encouraged people to be afraid. They encouraged people to not trust God. Joshua and Caleb, their influence wasn't neutral either. The people still saw, although they chose not to follow, the people saw them stand up and to be courageous. He saw that they were willing to stand up for the Lord, and they saw the Lord was willing to be on their side. Um, he learned that seasons of life change. Joshua learns that seasons of life change, though, our life and our thriving can change. Because even though Joshua stood up for the Lord, and, Josh, and the Lord protected Joshua from sure death, Joshua still had to face the consequences of what had happened. We can't escape living in a fallen world as much as we want to. As much as we think that things are not fair, things are not as they should be, um, if I'm serving the Lord, why are these really, really hard things happening? Because there's sin in the world. And here we are. 
and we just have to go along for the ride. And that's what Joshua had to do. And that's when Joshua became the wanderer. Along with all of the unbelieving Israelites, Joshua got to wander through the wilderness for 40 long years. He must have thought he was at the top of his game when he walked into the promised land as a spy. And the next thing he knows, he's not walking into that promised land for 40 more years. What is he going to do in that 40 years? What is he going to do in the desert? Um, there are seasons of life. I might have said that once or twice. You'll keep hearing it. There are seasons of life. There are ups and there's downs. And although Joshua was surviving, it was thriving in his current position as Moses' aide, he was going back into a season of pure survival. But there can be growth in the desert of survival, right? Even though we're in a desert place and we just feel like we're barely getting by, there can be growth. How can we grow in the desert? I think we can grow in the desert if we keep our focus on the Lord. I think we can grow in the desert if we don't allow the naysayers to bring us down, right? He was with all of those grumpy Israelites, but he didn't let them bring him down. You probably have Israelites in your life, right? You don't have to tell me who they are, but you all have them. They're out there. They're out there. He never stopped trusting in the promises of God, no matter how arid the desert got. He never stopped trusting in the promises of God. And finally, he allowed the time in the desert to prepare him for what was coming next. We need to allow these desert seasons to prepare us for what is coming next in our lives, even if we don't know what the next thing is or when it will come. And that's exactly what God did. God prepared Joshua. It took him 40 years, but God prepared Joshua for his next task, and that next task was to become his warrior. And that leads us to Joshua the Commissioned. And this is where Joshua learned how to be strong and courageous. Moses' work on earth was done. Moses asked God to appoint a man over the community to lead them so they would not be like sheep without a shepherd. Numbers 27 says, Then God said, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. Then Moses laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. Joshua may have just been in survival mode, munching on some manna, surviving in the wilderness, wandering around for a long, long time. But when the Lord called him, he was ready to step up to the plate. He had been Moses' sidekick for years. Years. He knew what these people were prone to. He knew what obstacles were on the other side of the Jordan River. He had been there as a spy, so he knew, he knew what he saw. He knew what the people were like. 
He knew what he was getting into as the new leader of this group. But he was ready to step up to the plate. He said, okay, I'm ready, God. I'm ready. You're leading. I'll follow. There are some important lessons we can learn about Joshua's attitude. Important lessons. He was willing to follow God wherever he led. He did not, okay girls, he did not make excuses as to why he was not the right guy for the job. He didn't argue that someone else would be a better fit. And he was willing to use the gifts and talents he was given and developed in the work of the Lord he was willing to use his gifts and talents. I think those attitudes are things that we can examine in ourselves. I can examine it in myself. Seems like so-and-so would be much better fit for this God. I can't do this job. Why don't you send her? Did you see what she can do? I think you're a little mixed up. I'm not your one. And God says, you are my one. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Stop looking around and look up at me. I want you to do this job. And Joshua said, let's do it. Okay, Lord. Okay. However, God is gracious. And he knows that sometimes thriving is hard work. We need encouragement to keep going. Listen to what God did for Joshua. God did it. He asked Moses to do it. I love it. It went on and on and on. He did not say it one time. He said it over and over and over. He knew that the work that Joshua had to do was going to be hard. He knows that thriving and not just living life by existing, it takes effort and work. In Deuteronomy 1, God said to Moses, encourage Joshua because he will lead Israel to inherit the land. In, Josh, in Deuteronomy 3, Moses commanded Joshua, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. In Deuteronomy 3.28, God instructed Moses, commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead those people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. Deuteronomy 37, then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then again in Deuteronomy 31, the Lord appeared at the tent, of the, at the tent in a pillar of cloud and gave this command to Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for I will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. You see, God and Moses are preparing Joshua to start thriving again. Joshua had gifts. Joshua had willingness. Joshua had the spirit of wisdom. And now, with the help from God and Moses, Joshua had the courage and strength he needed to press forward and to start thriving. 
How many times did Joshua ask, did God ask Joshua to be strong and courageous and not to be afraid? Over and over and over. So it made me think, if there wasn't something to be afraid of, would God have kept telling him not to be afraid? Fear, either real or perceived, it's really, it's our reality. Whether it's a real fear that's tangible and you know what it is, or if it's just your mind running wild, it's our reality. But God meets us where we are, and he invites us in, and invites us to trust him. God never told Joshua to be strong and courageous because of his own strength. God never gave him one of those speeches, you know, come on, Joshua, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Come on, Joshua, just suck it up and be tough. Go just do it, Joshua. He never. He said, Joshua, be strong and courageous because I am right here. I will fight for you. I am on your side. You can be strong and courageous because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. I don't know what you're afraid of today. I look around and I might be able to pick out a few people that might, I might know their fears, but I don't know what most of you are afraid of. I don't know what you're up against. But I know who is on your side. I know who is on your side. You may say, this is so scary. And he says, I know, daughter, be strong and courageous. This is really, really hard. I know, daughter, I know, be strong and courageous. This is too much. I cannot handle it anymore. I know, daughter, be strong and courageous. I'm overwhelmed. I can't go on. Daughter, daughter, I know, I see you. Be strong and courageous. This really hurts. I know. I know, daughter. Be strong and courageous. It takes strength and courage to follow the unseen God. Sometimes he comes soft and gentle to us like a cloud, and sometimes he comes strong and firm like he's in the fire. But his message never wavers. Trust me. Trust me. I am. And that strength and courage is what enabled Joshua to move on to his next role. That strength and courage is what's going to enable you to move on to your next role. It's going to let you move from surviving to thriving. Because we can trust a God who asks, asks, asks us to be strong and courageous. Because he is going to be in every step with us. Joshua is now the leader. And this is where he really learned to have courageous and consistent faith. There are seasons of life, ups and downs. There's a time to wander in the wilderness as a survivor, and there's a time to gain encouragement. And then 
there's a time to start moving. There's a time to start moving. In Joshua 1.1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give you. In other words, lace up your sandals, Joshua. We're about to move, and you're going to lead them, and I'm going to go before you. It is time to thrive. And then God gave one of the greatest pep talks of all time. We're going to read it because it's so fantastic. It's in Joshua 1, chapter 5 through 9. No one will be able to stand against you. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn, to it, turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And Joshua's response? Joshua got that pep talk. And then Joshua said, okay, let's go. And he commanded his warriors and his, his army to start moving. And then what was the Israelites' response? They said, okay, then we're going to trust God too. Only be strong and courageous. Do you see that trickle-down effect? I love that. God told Joshua. Joshua believed it. Joshua told the people, and the people believed it. Who is in your circle of people that you can influence to be strong and courageous? Who can you influence to stand up, put away their survival mode, and start thriving? Okay, we're about to take a whirlwind tour through the book of Joshua, and we're going to see how strength and courage motivate different groups of Israelites to thrive. So in chapter 2, we find that the spies went into Jericho, but this time it was the new generation of spies, and they trusted the Lord. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Because you see, this new generation of Israelites, the new generation of spies, they were ready to stop surviving and to start thriving. And we find out that Rahab, she was a prostitute and a Canaanite woman. She was ready to believe and put her trust in the God of the Hebrews by her courageous actions because Rahab was ready to stop surviving and start thriving. 
In chapter 3, we find the priest trusted God and stepped into the raging Jordan River. The Jordan River was at flood stage and overflowing the banks. And they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. It was made of gold. The thing could not have been light. Raging River, Ark of the Covenant. The priest marched straight in because God told them to. Because the priests were ready to stop surviving and start thriving. In chapter 4, the Israelites trusted that God would continue to hold back the walls of water. And they walked over the Jordan too. And they picked up 12 stones. And they carried them to the other side. And they made a memorial of remembrance. Because the Israelites were ready to stop thriving. Stop surviving and start thriving. In chapter 5, we find the men of military age. The new warriors. They allowed Joshua to circumcise the entire army. And they trusted that God's command was good because the Israelite warriors were ready to stop surviving and start thriving. All the Israelites celebrated Passover and ate produce from the new land. And the manna stopped that day after they ate the food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they trusted God and ate the produce of Canaan because the Israelites were ready to stop surviving and start thriving. In chapter 6, we find that Joshua and the priests and the warriors were willing to trust the plans of God and march around the walls of Jericho with only their horns and their voices and the Ark of the Covenant. They trusted that crazy plan and the walls fell down because they were ready to stop surviving and to start thriving. In chapter 7, the people were willing to do the very hard work of routing out the sin that was among them. They faced sin, disobedience, and consequences head on. And they were willing to trust God in obedience, which led to the stoning of Achan and his family. Because the nation was ready to stop surviving and start thriving. In chapter 8, even though Joshua was discouraged by his previous military defeat, he was ready to trust God, face his failure, and try again. Because Joshua was ready to stop surviving and start thriving. Joshua led all the Israelites in worship, offerings and reading of the law. They went back to the law and to God's word to renew their trust in him because they were ready to stop surviving and to start thriving. In chapters 9 through 12, Joshua leads and grinds through the hard work of seven long years of battle. Seven years of war, but seven years of obedience to God. God continued to tell Joshua over and over, do not be afraid. And in turn, Joshua tells his warriors, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Joshua internalized the words that God was giving him. And then he was able to share it with others because he was ready to stop surviving and to start thriving. In chapter 13, we find that Joshua was old and well advanced in years. The Lord said to him, Joshua, you are very old, and there are still a very large area of land to be taken over. 
Joshua was probably about 90 years old, but there was still work to do. Joshua was still willing to trust God in his old age and move forward. Because Joshua knew no matter what his age, he still had a little thriving left in him. What do we learn from chapter 21? We learn that we can trust God. God is worthy and God is trustworthy. We should be strong and courageous because that last verse tells us in chapter 21, not one of all the Lord's promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. It may have not come as fast as the Israelites would have thought or the way they thought it should have looked, but God is trustworthy. He did not let them down. In his way, in his timing, he fulfilled every single promise that he had made to them. That the belief of believing God to do what he says he will do, that is a lot what thriving looks like. In chapter 22, we learn that we need to keep using our gifts for the benefit of others. Joshua used his gifts and of leading and encouraging. He had good advice to help the Israelites <clears throat> to continue to thriving as they were done fighting now. The Israelites finished fighting. They were settling in their land. And Joshua had one more, one more thing to say to them. He used his gifts of leadership, encouraging, and he said to them, keep the Lord's commandments. Love the Lord your God. Walk in all his ways. Obey his commands. Hold fast to him. Serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. What do we learn in chapter 23? We learn that all of this, all that we've read, all that we've learned about today, all about Joshua, all about the Israelites, actually the story that we're talking about was never about Joshua, was never about the Israelites. This is a story about God. This is a story about God. It was always about God. He said, your job, Joshua and Israelites, and all of you ladies, your job is to trust me, and my job is to fight for you. The story of Joshua is all about God and how he was willing to fight for Joshua. Chapter 24, what do we learn in chapter 24? We learn in chapter 24 that we have a choice to make. Choose this day who you will serve. Will you serve your fear? Will you serve your circumstances? Will you serve your self-doubt? Or are you going to choose to serve the Lord? We cannot just say that we serve the Lord. We need to put our service into action for the Lord. But what are you going to choose? Make a decision that you will choose today to start thriving for the Lord in your worship and your service to him. I truly believe that Joshua's greatest commandment, or <clears throat> goodness, his greatest accomplishment 
in life was his courageous and his consistent faith. Joshua was human. He made mistakes. Tough old Joshua even got discouraged sometimes. Once when he went to war, he was defeated. He came back to the camp, and he fell face down at the Ark of the Covenant. Fell face down. And you know what he said? He said, why did you even bring us across the Jordan? You should have just left us back there. After all that, he was still discouraged. He still questioned God. And do you know what God said to him? God said, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. Stand up. What are you doing down there on your face? Israel has sinned. So you go and cleanse the people. God wants us to face our sin. He wants us to face it head on. Stand up. Repent for what is going on. Turn back around and look at me. I am with you forever. You can be strong and courageous. You have to root out the sin that's in your life, that's keeping you from, from anything that isn't bringing glory to him. But Proverbs 24, 10, 16 tells us, for though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. I love that. A righteous man may fall seven times. Girls, has anybody in here had a little stumble once in a while? Right? Maybe more than once? Are we falling? We think, oh, Lord, again. And he says, stand up. Come on, girls, stand up. Okay, so you stand up. And I think, now I'm going to thrive. And you start thriving. And then you fall. And he says, it's okay. I've got you. I'm fighting for you. Stand up. Stand up. Though the righteous should fall seven times, he will rise again. Like Joshua, we need to be, we need faith. We need faith to begin and to continue our walk with the Lord. We can recognize that there are seasons of surviving and then there are seasons of thriving. But when we fall, we can rise again because of Jesus. That, girls, is why we can rise again. Not because we're something amazing. The imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. He has given us his righteousness. And we can keep standing up every time we fall. Every time we're in the pit. Every time we think we are only surviving and we cannot go one more day, he has given us Jesus and he says, stand up. We can do this. Cannot finish up without looking at Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Just this week, a sweet friend of mine, she said to me, I feel like when we cross that finish line, 
in, in that verse when it says, let's run the race and cross the finish line. I don't know that we're going to be free and easy and look like a bunch of, you know, picture-perfect athletes racing across that line. Because life is really, really hard. We might be bloodied and bruised. We might have broken bones. Some of us may be running across the finish line. Some of us may be hobbling. Some may be crawling. But we're going to cross that line. It's a promise we are going to cross that line. Because he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are going to cross the finish line. It might not be pretty, right? But we're going to get there. We're going to get there because of Jesus. I do not have it all together. I do not have this thriving thing figured out. Not by a long shot. But I know, I know the one who does. And he is the same yesterday and today and forever. The same God that whispered to Joshua, be strong and courageous, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's also whispering to you and me, I love you, daughter. I love you so much I sent my son for you, for your personal redemption. I love you so much I sent my son for your personal redemption. Now trust me. Trust in Jesus. I want a relationship with you. I want you to grow to be more like me. I want you to thrive. My spirit lives inside of you. And when I start a good work in you, I promise I will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Just be strong and courageous. I have decided to follow Jesus.
Turning back, no turning back.